Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Brook. And as I said, my name is Neil. So glad to be here with you. And um, as was prayed about already, that our our weeks and our lives are so busy and so hectic, and the things that you never thought were going to happen a week ago happened already and is done are done already today. It's just amazing how life goes, and so we really do actually need to take time to think about our inner life, don't we? Our inner world, what's going on inside, because if we're not careful, we could blink our eyes and our lives would be over. And we hadn't spent a second thinking about what's going on inside. We could be so moved by our circumstances and by things going on around us that we could actually forget that God is doing something inside of us. And so it's really important to be proactive in this, not simply to be influenced by circumstances, but to really proactively seek God and to have God change us where we need changing to renovate our hearts, just as we're thinking about this this new and great opportunity to, to move into a permanent residence for the Brook Church. We think about moving our hearts and renovating our hearts and making sure that we're spiritually ready for the opportunity that God is giving us. And so, yes, we are going to talk about our inner world. And the question, you know, some of us are not excited about this, right? Because, um, you know, do you have a closet somewhere in your house that you do not want to uh, ever visit? You have a closet like that? Maybe you have a garage, right? Maybe you have a room somewhere that you just throw everything in it. And you say to yourself, you know, one day I'll get to it. One day I'll get to it. And then the next thing you know, you're moving and then you have to get to it. But the thought is, is that we all have an area of our life that we think, you know, I don't want to get into my inner world because it seems like it may be a little messy, right? And, you know, my life is so busy. I don't have time to deal with messes like that. I don't like messes like that. Some of us feel like we don't want to get into our inner world because, you know, we don't have the answers to these questions. These are profound questions about what's going on inside of us. And we say to ourselves, we don't, we don't want any, any part of this. And so we back off. You know, some of us say, well, you know, I'm not an introvert. Introverts like to talk about their inner world. I'm an extrovert. And I'm just going to be with people and I don't get to spend any time on, on that, on that in- introvert stuff, your inner world. And you know what? Introvert or extrovert, uh, whether, you know, no matter what you are, you have to say that God is calling us to look inside. Because when we look inside and when we let God arrange the furniture of our hearts, God is preparing us for something big. God is preparing us to do his will. And God, when God is involved in that process, when God is the king of that process, who knows what could happen? And we leave it in God's hands. And it's an amazing thing to see God at action if only we are ready and wired and our heart is ready to go. And when I've read this psalm over so many times over the last few weeks as I was thinking about this sermon, the thought occurred to me is that there's a lot of ups and downs in this particular psalm. And that the inner world business is really not just a five or six week sermon series, it's a life activity. And that when the sermon series is over and we change the subject, we turn to a different thing, we think about something else, our inner world still calls for us to look at it, to work on it. Because our hearts, you know, things appeal to our hearts at different times. And our, and our lives take certain changes and certain turns and certain directions. And we all, if we get this stuff down now, in the ups and downs of life, we're going to be so much better able to do the things that God has called us to do. Last week, Pastor Mucci talked about Psalm 1, the first psalm. 
And I think you may have heard him say that the book of Psalms has been divided into five separate books. And this is an ancient division that uh, was known early, early on in, in the history of the church, uh, five separate books. Uh, chapter one of chapter 41 is book uh, one. Uh, chapter 42 to chapter 72 is book two. And then there's a, a, chapter, a new book starting at chapter 73, a new book chap- starting at chapter 90, and a new book starting at chapter 107. This is not on the test, okay? Don't worry about it, except to say this. Last week, we heard Pastor Mucci speak of the blessing that comes to those who follow God, right? To the one who meditates on God's word to the one who's constantly thinking and meditating and and, and kind of saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, how's your word speaking to me? God opens up the avenue for uh, eternal blessing for that person. Their life is always prosperous, spiritually speaking, so to speak. And it's a wonderful psalm, right? Psalm 1 is just an absolutely wonderful psalm. So when you get to book 2, the psalm that we read today, Psalm 42, is the first psalm in book 2, of the Psalms. And it's really interesting to see what happens, right? Book one, uh, book one starts with, blessed is the person who, you know, who, does, who doesn't do these things, meditates on God's law, right? Day and night. So now in book two, what are we talking about? We are talking about a soul that is troubled. What happened? If we followed Psalm one, everything's gonna be great, right? Well, as we know, life happens. Circumstances change. We can be on the mountaintop in one second, right? And we can be down in the valley in the next. Life changes fast. And for the psalmist, and I love how real the Bible is. I love how true to life experience the Bible is. The psalmist in Psalm 42 tells us that sometimes, for lack of a better phrase, life just stinks. It does. Some really bad things happen. And so let me read the psalm again for us for us, as we get our minds and hearts into the matter. Uh, and, and hear when he says, hear clearly when he says that his soul is cast down. Listen to how many times the word soul occurs in this chapter. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversary, taunt me while they say to me all day long where is your God why are you cast down on my soul why are you in turmoil within me hope in God for I shall yet again praise him my salvation and my God the soul 
however you define it, in this psalm is defined as something within the psalmist, his spiritual life. The word, the word soul in Hebrew is a simply a word that can be translated life. It's like, a, it's nefesh, it's a, simple, it's a simple word, it means life. It's often translated in our versions of soul. It means what's going on inside of you. What's going on inside of you? And he says, why is my soul downcast? Why is it bowled over? Why is it bowed down? Why is it in a, kind of in a heap in the corner of my life? Why is this going on? And so today, I just want to unpack for you in our moments together this particular psalm and, and have you think about what your life is like and to think about the inner world of your life. And, and maybe you're not downcast today. Maybe you're upbeat. I don't want to bring you down, my friend. No, no, no. I don't want to do that for you. But I do know that if you live any length of time, there's going to come a time when your soul's not going to be doing so well and your soul's going to be hurting. And I want you to, I want you to know that God, God is ready for that. God is there to help us. And so what we need to know is this. Point number one, a soul, a troubled soul, needs a relationship with God. As I read over the psalm, I hope you heard the word soul mentioned a bunch of times, right? Soul, my soul, my soul. But I also hope you heard that he's talking to God. A troubled soul needs a relationship with God. You know, religion and spirituality are those kinds of things um, that people kind of think are as hobbies in life. You know, some, I, you know, I like uh, golfing or tennis or fishing or whatever, you know, pick your, your favorite thing you like to do. I go to the ball game, um, hang out with my friends, go to the mall, whatever it is, right? Those are the things I do. And you, you, my friend, you go to church on Sunday, so that's your thing, right? Because you talk about God a lot. And you see, that's not really what the Bible says at all, right? Religion isn't a hobby, or at least our relationship with God isn't a hobby. A relationship with God is everything to a believer, right? And the fact is, matter, you absolutely, totally need God. The downcast soul needs God more than anything. You know, there are people, godly people around us who can help talk to us if we're feeling down, and, and there are great encouragers in church and uh, around us, and we're thankful for everyone with those particular gifts of encouragement. But ultimately, even that encouraging person is going to point the downcast soul where? to God, because ultimately these things are a matter of us and God. You know, I'm not sure when we talk about verses one and two, if we get the sense of desperation. Have you ever panted before? I gave up running a long time ago. As you may guess, right? I gave up running a long time ago. My bones started creaking and my knees were making all kinds of funny noises. But I do remember, I remember last time I had to move with exertion and I remember panting. I remember, I remember panting <laughs> like that, right? And what are you trying to do? You're trying to catch your breath, right? And at that point, if, if you've ever been in that situation, and, and once in a while, there's those times where you're like, okay, I'm going to catch it eventually, right? You know, you're hoping it comes back. And the thought is, this person, this deer, we are like the deer. Our soul is like the deer. It is panting. It is panting. It is panting. I can't get out of my mind the picture of when I was growing up on a farm. We had this big or this uh, small-sized pond behind our house. And every morning in the fall and in the summer, right before deer hunting season, we'd have deer come by and stop and uh, take a drink out of the pond. It was always a beautiful sight. Uh, I didn't sense their desperation. I never got close enough to the deer to sense their desperation. 
But there's a sense where the deer that's been running away from its enemies, after away from the hunter, is panting and panting and panting and panting and trying to get back on their feet and trying to make sure they survive and trying to make sure things are going well with them. Or how about verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. You know, in our age of instant this and instant that, we say to ourselves, you know, I mean, do, have we ever been really thirsty? Oh, I got to have water. If I don't have water, I'm going to die. I don't know. Have you ever been in the desert? Have you ever been in a place where there was no water readily available? Have you, you know, maybe there, a hurricane situation and you ran out of the water, you forgot to buy water, you went to Publix and all the water was gone and you're desperate for water, right? You have to have water. The thought is, the thought is here that this is a, a our relationship with God should be as concerning to us as having water during a hurricane. It should be as concerning to us as having air to breathe when our hearts are moving rapidly, searching for every breath of air. And I think sometimes in our culture, because we're kind of comfortable in a lot of ways, that we don't think about God that way. We don't think about how much we need God. We don't think about how much God is there with us and ought to dominate everything. You know, some of us say, well, you know, we give God two hours on Sunday morning. That, isn't that enough, right? Man, man, I got up. I got up. I came to church. You know, I, 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 gave, a, I, gave, a, I gave a gift to church. I, I was kind to everybody in church. You know, I you know, have friends there. I said hi to them. But really, the rest of the week really is mine, right? All of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources are a gift from God. And there's going to be a time in life as we approach the end of our lives, we're going to recognize that. And we're going to say to ourselves, oh, what could we have done for God? What could, have done God, what could God have done with us if only my inner life was, was, was working the way it should have been? If I was more in touch with God, God doesn't want to simply hear us pray when we're desperate. Of course he wants us to pray when we're desperate. But he wants us to pray all the time. Or maybe this, maybe put it this way. God wants us to be desperate all the time for him. Desperate for him all the time to hear from him. It's not like, you know, as your kids are growing up and you're worried about them getting ready for school and doing their homework and, you know, you fret about it and you make sure everything is done in order because you're the responsible parent, right? And, all of, and, you know, eventually there comes a time where you, your kid looks at you and says, I got this. You don't have to dress me for school anymore. I know how to do that. You don't, you don't have to ask me if my homework's done. I got that. Is that our relationship with God? And the answer is absolutely not. Because we don't got it, right? You know, it's like, man, I've just cruised through the last week of my life. I didn't have to pray for a second. If that has been your state, this verse cries out to us, change your ways now. Because we can't get through life without praying. We can't get through a day without praying. Why does Paul say pray without ceasing? He doesn't just say pray when times are tough, pray when things you know, aren't going your way. He says pray without ceasing. He says it because it is absolutely true. And so if we're on top of our heart that way, what a wonderful thing for a troubled soul. And, you know, I've met the person who says, you know, I had a problem and I prayed and I didn't get an answer like the next day. And, and so I gave up. 
That's not the way God works. God doesn't work that way. God wants everything. He wants it. Why? Because he's already given it to you. And now in return, we give it all back to him. And we say, Lord, order our life. My life is disordered. Please order it for me. Help me to order it. Give me wisdom to order it, right? All of those things come to our mind. So please please today, when you read those first two verses, and these are verses we sing, right? The deer that pants uh, for water, right? So we pant for you. See that not simply as a peaceful pastoral scene in a a rural field uh, up up north somewhere, right? See it as as an act of utter desperation for a soul that is troubled. And so it brings us to point two. A troubled soul faces serious external threats. This, I mean, this is where I really want to bridge between Psalm 1 and Psalm 42, because Psalm Psalm 1 just kind of puts everything in its place. You avoid these bad people, you stay away from these bad things, you go with God and you're going to be prosperous and your your leaves are always going to be green, you're always going to be bearing fruit, you're planted by the stream of water, all those things with Psalm 1, it's beautiful, but now the psalmist finds that he is faced with external threats. Notice verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, he said, while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? They say, where's your God? Skip down to verse 10. As it, with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And if you underline your Bibles or you take notes, I think one of the things that pops out to me here is the phrase, they say. I want to talk about the power of words. You know, maybe the worst lie that we heard as kids or if, I mean if you heard the same thing I heard as a kid was the phrase sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me that's a terrible lie because names do hurt don't they have you ever heard those before you're not smart enough you're not pretty enough you're not fast enough you're not good enough you never amount to anything. Awful, awful words. And they affect what? Our inner life. And some of us are, are haunted by those words. If we heard them as a child, we are haunted by them our entire lives. And on the ex- outside, we looked fine. And we've accomplished a lot. And we look good on paper. Our resume looks pretty good. But when we creep into, when we, this is that messy closet, right? We're in the messy closet now. And we pull back the messiness of the closet. We hear that voice that we heard as a kid. You don't amount to anything. What you do is not important. You failed. You're a disappointment. All those awful words. They're poison to our soul. Because those words are almost exactly the same as what has been told to the, told to the psalmist. Where's your God? 
There's certainly a time for discipline and there's certainly a time for instruction, but there is never a there is a never a time, there is never a time to heap on someone's head these awful phrases which make them question the very existence of God in their lives. My Bible says that we all, not just the beautiful people, but all of us have been fearfully and wonderfully made. My Bible says that all of us are created in the image of God. And that if anyone speaks ill of that, we say, no, we don't have to listen to that. We don't have to claim it. When you're a kid or a young person, you don't know you don't have to claim that. You just, you just accept it because someone taller than you or more important than you or someone who bossed you around said it to you and you have to accept it. And it's, it sits there in the closet of our hearts and torments our soul. And we hear these negative words. We hear this taunting. You know, maybe it's your very spiritual experience with God that you know people laugh at you because you're a Christian. You know, you know, your friend, you, 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 you had friends and now you became a Christian and you don't seem to have the same friends anymore. Or your friends think you're insane for coming to church at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning when there's so many other fun things to do on Saturday night, right? And they taunt you. They taunt you, their words. I want you to feel the impact of this. Notice verse 7. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, I thought to myself, what on earth does this mean? What it means is this that your inner world, those thoughts in your head, those voices that you've heard, whether it's recent voices or voices from way in the past, are the equivalent of what the Bible calls the deep. Put it this way. The deep is nowhere you want to be. The deep is only the territory of God himself. The only one who has control over the deep is God. Let me give you an example. Jonah, remember Jonah? Jonah got swallowed by the great fish. Remember that? Jonah chapter two. And you know where Jonah says he was? I was in the deep. I was in the deep. That's the experience of Jonah. Why? Because he, he was disobedient. He went, ran the wrong way, you know? And all of a sudden he was swallowed by this great fish and he was in the deep. Do you remember the story of the Exodus and the, and the children of Israel were leaving uh, Egypt, right? And the, and the Egyptians were coming and they were running across the Red Sea or God had to open the Red Sea, right? And you remember all of a sudden as the Israelites cleared the path or they got through the Red Sea and all of a sudden the Egyptians were coming, right? And they were all scared. All of a sudden the water swallowed up the Egyptians. Remember the story in the book of Exodus? It says there that they were caught in the deep. The deep is nowhere we want to be. The deep, the deep has a voice. You see, you know, we, we, hear these, we, hear, we hear these voices, we hear these words, we hear these taunts, and they, if you've been next to a waterfall, if you've been to Niagara Falls or one of the big waterfalls of our world, you know they roar. They are loud. These voices are overwhelming. And you can do all the self-help you want. You can do all the seminars you want. The only one who gets us out of the deep is God. The only one. 
And you notice that not only does it affect, uh, it brings some tears in verse 3. Tears have been my food. In verse 9, it says, I'm, I'm mourning. I am, I am mourning. I am weeping, right? I, I'm downcast. My soul is bowed over. It's bowled over. It's just sitting in the corner, curled up in a ball. Uh, it's emotional. And then in verse 10, it's like a wound in my bones. There's a physical manifestation of all of these things. This soul's in trouble. This soul's in trouble. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever said this before. And you know what? If it wasn't in the Bible, we probably wouldn't say it in church. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That's the danger of a troubled soul. It's not simply that they've heard words that are negative. But those words like the deep have overwhelmed them like Niagara Falls. They have, they have consumed them, the noise. And it leads them to ask this question, the question, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten me? Remember me? God, where are you? How can you say such a thing in church, right? I love that the Bible's honest. I love that the Bible's honest. I love it because I know people and I've talked to people who say, I think God's forgotten about me. I, when I look at my life, and these people would say, I look at my life and I look at this bad thing and that bad thing, and these things have piled up without, without stopping. God, what's going on here? Why have you forgotten me? These are powerful words. And so, wow. We clean out our closet and you say, see, Neil, why did we start digging around the closet for? I was a lot better before you started digging that stuff up, right? Just seal it off and, you know, paint the wall and you'll be happier, right? No, no. Either our God's bigger to deal with this or, you know, we need to find something else to do in life. There's better things to do on Sunday morning if God is not powerful to handle this. If we believe in the risen Christ, amen, if we believe in the risen Christ, and I do, and I think about it, you know, when it boils down to what my faith is, my faith is I believe in the risen Christ. When I believe that God can raise the dead, I believe that God can deal with this stuff. He can deal with my closet. He can deal with my inner world. He can make me usable for his kingdom and for his glory. And so what does a troubled soul do? The troubled soul returns to the basics, point three, returns to the basics. And you know what? And just as those negative words pop up, where is your God? What's going on? Your religion's a waste of time. Your God is not helping you. You know, all of those negative things that, that burst in our minds, what the psalmist does as he cries out, he says, he talks to his soul, right? He says, why are you cast down on, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he says it again in verse, uh, verse 11. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so where do you point the troubled soul? You point the troubled soul to where the psalmist goes. You point him to God. 
you point a troubled soul to God. What kind of God? Now, we have some pretty weak definitions of God in my life. Have you ever heard someone say, my God is this or my God is that? Have you heard someone say that? I've heard people talk like that. And, and then they say something that's just totally non-biblical. Have you heard this? And, and they say, well, that's very interesting that you have a God like that, but that's not the God of the Bible. We have to worship the God of the Bible. I mean, otherwise, we're just making idols up. And so this psalmist says, this psalmist says, this God is my Savior. He brings me salvation. I will praise him. I used to praise him back in the old days with God's shouts and songs of praise in verse 4. And now I will praise him again. So we take those negative words, those awful words, those words that heap shame and scorn upon us, and we replace them with God's words. We replace them with the word. We replace them with the word who is Jesus Christ. And that word says, I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue you. And it doesn't say, he doesn't say, that we're without trials and we're without difficulties, we're out without bad days or horrible circumstances. It doesn't say that. But it says that in the middle of it, I will be with you. And I want to just point out one last thing about this particular text, which has struck me in my reading of it the past couple of weeks. It's verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, again, if you mark your Bibles, or you highlight your Bible app, or however you do it, notice how many times the word God is mentioned. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. And then we get to verse 8. It changes. It says, the Lord. That's not a mistake. If your Bible's like mine, it has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You've probably heard a pastor or a teacher somewhere say, that's the name that uh, we, old days, we used to say Jehovah. Uh, more recently, we'd say the word Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. The name God, as we've read so far through the psalm, is a title, God. He is God. It's a wonderful name, God. But the personal name of God is Yahweh, the Lord. And that's the name that God uses when he makes an agreement with his people. It's his covenant name. And notice what it says in verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. I don't often say Hebrew words because I don't say them super well. But the word steadfast love is my favorite Hebrew word. It's the word chesed. Chesed. Like C-H-E-S-E-D. And it means God's loving faithfulness, his covenant love, his promise to us. 
And I want, I want you to remember those, we talked about those old voices and those bad voices and those horrible voices. And it, it, believe me, believe me, I've heard, the, I've heard them too. And they're not good. I don't like them. But and it's easy to get overwhelmed by them. Replace them with what this verse says. God loves you. The Lord loves you. The Lord who's made his covenant with his people loves you. And not only does he love you, he gives you a song at night. We replace those awful words with the words of song to the Lord, the words that God gives us. God changes our hearts when we're saved. God should change our words. He loves you. Someone gives you bad time in life, you may not be able to change the person. You may not have been able to change the circumstance, at least right away. But I want you not to be overwhelmed by those words and let them affect your inner world. I want your inner world to be, this closet of yours, I want it to be a total makeover, and I want it to say all over, the Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. Yes, this horrible thing happened, but the Lord loves me. The Lord's going to get me through it. The Lord cares for me. The Lord has not forgotten me. The Lord has not abandoned me. The Lord is right here with me. Oh, I read this psalm, I, I cry. Because God's love for us is tender and kind. If only we just receive it. Open our hearts to what God can do. To hear above the roar of the deep. To hear what he has to say to us. And when you do, your inner world is going to be rocked. And who knows what the Lord will do with us. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you today that you've given us a psalm like this. There are days when we just feel overwhelmed by everything. And we need a reminder for our inner world that you are good and that you love us. And your commitment to us is unfailing. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. And, Lord, for the soul for the soul here today who has their doubts with you, give them the freedom to ex- express those doubts to you. And, Lord, with your own voice, would you speak your word to them? May your spirit work in our hearts and in this place. We pray it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. We're about to prepare for a time of communion. When we talk about God's covenant love, there's really no greater expression of God's covenant love than what happens at the communion table, right? God said he loved us and he sent his son to die for us. So every week here at the brook, we observe that through the celebration of communion. I, I don't ever want it to be just simply something we do at the end of church. I think it's so much more important than that. It is you saying, I know God loves me. 
And I receive that love. I receive it. I received it a long time ago when I became a believer. And I receive it every day because God's love is so important. And so uh, before we celebrate communion, let us just offer a word of thanks. Our God, thank you that you sent your son to die for us. That he heard words of scorn and shame. But with a steadfast eye, he did what you called him to do.